Hey, 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 what's good? What's good? Welcome to another edition of the Blowing Bubbles podcast live at 8.45. We got our first in-house studio guest. Yes, yes, yes. What's up? So give me a hot second. I'm going to try to set him up on his live so that I can go on his page as well. You going to the Blowing Bubbles or you just going? Because I got yeah, a public, do- I got a public page. Okay. Um, I'm gonna have to figure it out. Okay, so you are live there. Corona Hosey join request to join. So send requests. It should pop up on your screen. What's popping? We in this piece. Okay, we're gonna get to that. So I'm trying to get um as many people as possible to join on YouTube. And why? Because I need my watch hours up. Period. So blowing bubbles podcast on YouTube. Are you on? I'm on yours. Oh, you know what? Should I ask? Request to join us? I can't see. White shirt is. Okay, I'm on, I think. Hey, does do I not see? Am I not on there? I don't know. You was up there, then you popped off. Okay. Oh, you know what I did? I had to, the sound is going to be a little goofy. I'm going to take this phone out of the room. <clears throat> so we don't get any reverb. That's the problem. Hold on, on for technical difficulties. Oh, it won't be able to see. All right, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. 
will figure it out. I'm here, I'm back. Don't worry. We're gonna get it. This is live. People have technical issues. All that. All right, so welcome. I got to set up the tripod. No. Oh, mine's still up. All right, all right, all right. What's good, everybody? Hey, there we go. There we go. Ugh. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Can move that arm, everyone. Most comfortable with this. <laughs> so, this is live at 8:45. We got some different stuff going on this evening. I have now have a set where I will be doing in-person guests, not just split screen. So, today I have the honor of having this very intelligent, deep young brother here, and I'm gonna let him introduce himself. He goes by the name of I Am, but I want him to tell you about his name and his story. So tell us your name, man. Well, as I said, I am, but I'm sorry. <laughs> what does that name mean to you? Now you good, Queen. Peace and blessings. My name is I Am. I'm going to give you all a few reasons how I got the name I Am. The most easiest version, while I was in Arkansas, I was incarcerated. My original surname was Delgado. While I was incarcerated, I began to get more of knowledge itself from the teachings my mother gave me when I was a child. Come to the realization that Delgado is a Spanish name. That's the name of Europeans. I'm not European. That's the name of the people that conquered us. So I knew that was a name not befitting for me. So from the moment I got to prison up until 2022, I went through a series of names I tried to get put as my last name, but the courts would not approve it. Finally, I came across my grandfather's first name. They give you all a little bit of my background. My blood father's from Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, they actually don't have last names. What the men do, people do, period, they take on the first name of their parent as their surname. So my father's name being Brahani Melis. Melis is actually my grandfather's name. At the time, I didn't know this. I thought that was just his last name. Because my father chose to walk out my life, though, he dishonored the bloodline, so I technically couldn't take on his first name as my surname. So I decided to add on my, father, my grandfather's name. On top of that, this word one of my Muslim brothers had gave me called Malin, which means to purify oneself, a laxative, actually. So I decided to combine that name, Malin, with my grandfather's first name, Malis, which means he returns, and made the word Malisi, which means he comes clean 
we are. So, while at one of our job sites one day, a couple guys and I, we were just having a random conversation. One of my bros, he just asked, hey, if everybody put their name in an acronym, what would your name be? Everybody got like a stupid name. People named me in chick, KLJ, TMA. So they asked me what mine is using my new surname. I says I A M. One of my bros said, Your name is I am? I said, Shit, yeah, I guess. He's like, Bro, that's really five. Wow. But then the name went to deeper context. I'm a very spiritual person. And I'll just say, you know, a lot of people say spiritual, they be on some odd stuff nowadays. <laughs> but I started looking at the name of the Most High. We give the Most High so many names. I'm Muslim, we call Most High Allah. Christians may say Jesus or Yahweh, whichever's befitting. You got the Buddhist, you got Krishna. But when Moses was having a conversation with the Most High at the burning bush, he asked, like, who am I going to say sent me to give this message? The Most High just said, I am. That's all you have to say. Us, we being direct descendants of the Most High, us sharing the same gene makeup of the Most High, every one of us is miniature I am's. So by calling myself I am is me acknowledging I come from this bloodline of the Most High, of the God itself. And then also by calling myself I am, that's my reminder of constantly being in who I am at this moment, not reliving the past of who I was, adopting old behavior traits I don't really care for no more, not living in the image of what other people perceive me to be. I'm always living in the state of who I'm supposed to be. So, so, so. Wow. Okay. So let's let's start to peel back the layers. You said your father walked out. Have you ever at any time had a relationship with your father? I had brief memories of him when I was a child. Like before the age of five, he'd come around like every blue moon, short-lived visits. Most of the times he'd just come and see me for a second, but then go to see my mother particularly. Mm -hmm. Okay. And were they ever married? No. Hmm. And and so from the time you were about five till now, have you seen him or had any dealings with him? Two months after I was released from prison. Actually, I'll go a little further back. I'll go a little further back. When I was about eight years old, we stayed on 73rd Street. It's in Southwest Philly. I believe we stayed on 73rd or that was Theodore and Buis. Same area though, right next to each other. I had this thing where I always jumped on my mother's bed. It pissed my mother off. So I'm jumping on the bed one day and I could hear like tapping on the window. My, we stay on the second floor. So I go to the window this is this skinny looking weird man downstairs. I open the window, I asked, Who are you? He said, My name. I said, what, What's up with you? He said, I I'm your dad. As soon as he said, I said, I'm finna go get my mom. He said, Please don't get your mother. Please don't get your mother. I went to go get my mom. I told her to come here. You know, I rushed her. And she asked what happened. I said, Man, there was a man downstairs and he was claiming to be my dad. I'll never forget the look my mother gave me. 
she gave me this very stern look, like water her eyes and say, don't ever go to that window again. Days later, I seen her and that same man talking while I was out with my homeboys riding scooters. And that was the last time. Wow. So, <laughs> even preteen years, just the last time. Wow. And I was eight when that happened. Hmm. Fast forward, fast forward. There was a brief little moment in prison, but I never got in contact with him. He actually reached out to my mother. I was trying to use me to hook up with my mother. But fast forward that, I get out of prison. It's 2022. If anybody doesn't know, I just did seven years in the state of Arkansas prison. Don't ever go to Arkansas. Don't go to prison. <laughs> but Arkansas and prison are the same word. But it's two months after I got out of prison. I'm looking for my son's mother so I can find my son. I'm curious, though. The means I used to find her, I said, I wonder if I could find my pops using this. He's an immigrant, so I know this is a probably real slim chances. I find the information, though. There's three numbers they gave me. Call the first two. They both disconnected. Third number, it goes through. I get a response. I recognize the voice. Never forgot the voice. I told him who I was. He hung up on me. I called back. So you identified yourself and then he hung up on you. Yeah. I called back. And when I called back, the person answered. But they didn't say anything. They were just on the other end with a lot of heavy breathing. And after five seconds, they just hung up again. And that was the end of it. Wow. So what was going through your mind when you were... Hung up on by your sperm donor. I'm not gonna call him that. He's when his um, birthright. He's my father. I'm gonna give him. Correct. I'm gonna give him his respect. You, you are correct. You are correct. What was going uh, through your mind? The first time he hung up on me, I thought it was on my end because the area we lived in, the service is real bad. Especially, I got T-Mobile. T-Mobile's okay. not as friendly as it used to be, apparently, with its services. <laughs> okay. So I thought the first one was on me. It wasn't until I called him back, and after that little brief period, he hung up. I realized, nah, both of those times was deliberate. This is not an accident. Because I'm calling back, it's going straight to voicemail. I'm texting. I'm leaving all type of messages. I'm really going frantic. I'm really enraged. Because mm. that child in me finally took over. At that moment, I lost all, for that split moment, I lost my emotional intelligence. And that child in me wanted some answers. Yeah. So, has that feeling, has the, the drive for answers been kind of solved? Or are you, you okay with where you are now in your lack of a relationship with him? I'll say there's more self-solutions. Like, one, the heartbreak behind that was I, gave, I made an expectation that because who I was and because I presented myself to him, he was going to accept me. But that's not the case. He left. So a part of that was I get made an expectation that wasn't based on no evidence of facts. Right. And it was actually to the contrary because he demonstrated all your early life that he was not going to be there consistently. Hmm. Has your mother had any communication with him? Uh, from the experience in prison, nah. 
And how's your relationship with her? We got to put like a to be continued on one of these. Oh. <laughs> Let's just say I love my mother to death, but. Oh, okay. The thing about my parents, my parents, they are who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that saved me a lot of grief as I got older. Once I started realizing I may have an image of who I feel the people in my life was supposed to be. But that's just my perception. That's not real. The reality is everybody is who they are. When you start seeing people for who they are, then you stop seeing them for who you think they should be. You see them for who they could be. But you never lose the image of what they could be. You always look at a person's potential. But at some point, that has to be based on some type of evidence. Marcus Garvey said in one of his teachings that when you meet people, remember, everybody's their own person. Your child is their own person. You can have your perception of who you think they are, but when it's all said and done, they are a person. Absolutely. Even your siblings, your friends, before they were anything to you, they were their own people. And even after you, they're going to continue to be their own people. So that's how I choose to deal with my parents. They are who they are, and I accept them for who they are. I'm not trying to change them. Okay. So let me fast forward slightly. Your life has been somewhat um, fatherless in the in the present, in the sense of him being present on a consistent basis. So how do you then turn around and be a father? What does that feel like or look like to you? What What is that journey? Tell me about that. Well, if not having my father, and I'm going to skip around that question a little bit to get to my answer. I don't know how most people see theirs. For me, I see more mine more as a blessing situation. Because, one, because of who my father is, he's an Ethiopic man. If you've never really just dealt with them, they're very cultural, custom people. Like, uh-huh. it's you're now starting to meet a more generation than where they're open-minded to different subjects. But from his generation, if I was to raise on them, it's none of that. They are very cultural, custom. You Absolutely. believe what you believe, do what you do, think the way you think because of their customs. So by not having him and then even still having a strained relationship with my mother and my family, period. I had a lot of identity issues, but it also caused me to go on the journey for self and the search for truth. Like I remember one time in the 12th grade, we had a project and my teacher asked me, what's the most important thing to you in life? And me is just knowing the truth, knowing why things are the way they are. Like I'm very infatuated with the concept of thinking. Mm-hmm. I love just knowing what people think. So part of the identity issues is I always adopted other people's lifestyles. I just wanted to, and really, I just wanted to know why people think the way they think, why people do the way they do. What is it about people's thought process that makes them do the things that they do? What made me do the things I did? So on that constant journey of truth, I got to see fatherhood from different perspectives. I got to see fatherhood from the guys that are emotionally absent from the children's lives, but they're present physically. I got to see fatherhood from a man who I respect dearly, who I, in my eyes, he is a great father. Until this day, he's still in my life, and he played a father role in my life. I got to see fatherhood from a guy who's in my life, but his methods don't work. But I could see the emotion of what he was trying to accomplish. So I got to see the trial and errors of other men. I got to see the perspectives of other men. I just got to see how people think. But the biggest lesson for my father when I had my own son and after going to prison and have to revamp the way my mindset is, my father left me the perfect example of what I don't want to be. 
That's great. And how old is your son now? He's eight years old. We're about eye to eye with each other. He's like the same height. Wow. No, I'm not joking. Like, I was buying him some shoes the other day. And, you know, I don't know nothing about kids' shoes, so his mom had to tell me the size. And I'm looking like, these might be my damn size. <laughs> like, I wear eight. Like, I think I can fit wow. these. Like, he might not get these. He might get my shoes. And I'm going to keep these. Wow. So, you had a son and went to prison before he was one, I'm, if I'm calculating correctly, or right around his first birthday. I went to prison, well, I went to jail roughly a month and a half before he turned one. But the last time I seen him when he was eight months, when I was in Atlanta, because mind you, I was in Arkansas. Mm. His mother, they're Atlanta natives. Okay. So he has relatively no memories of me. Wow. So were you able to maintain a long-distance relationship with him while you were incarcerated? Nope. Because of my own issues I had with women, from that lack of fatherhood of not knowing how to deal with women, but then also from my own emotional issues with my mother, my son's mother became, I don't want to say it, but like a punching bag. I never put my hands on her. Let me, let me scratch that up. I never put my hands on her, but all the mental, emotional issues I had for my mother that I never had a chance to you take out my her. mother, she adopted them. So when I became incarcerated, all those feelings were still there. Yeah. She wanted no dealings with me. Actually, her mind not allowing me to have that relationship with my son was finally that revenge she'd get on me for the mental abuse I put her through. Mm -hmm. Wow. So do you all have a, a good amicable relationship now? It's developing. One thing you can't you can't put a time on wounds. Absolutely. Like for me, I'm a person, I'm not going to say I have thick skin. I know the value of time to the point nothing bothers me long. Like I don't hold grudges. I let things go. But that's not everybody's mindset. That's just my perception. And then everything hurts people differently. Like as much as I talk about the forgiveness of my father, that took years, like approximately seven years to get to that point. Mm. Okay. So, you know, we speak on things we use in a very loosely concept, but we don't really think of the time and the process that it took to get there. And that's the same with her. It took years just for her to get to states where she even would have a conversation with me. But before that was possible, I had to actually start rechanging my thinking because the whole reason we even had conflict with each other was because of me. Now, I'm not going to paint the picture she was perfect, but she actually tried to get along with me. I wasn't willing to do the same. Actually, there was even a time when... Oh, I don't want to share this memory. This is bad. Memory. Come on back. You can't, bad you can't memory. hold back. It's Whatever you're coming. It was me, her, her mother, and her grandmother. I'm holding my son. We're in their living room. Her brother used to know what to say to just rub me off when it came to her. So one day he looked at me, he said, if you and her had a child together and it was a girl, would you name it after her? I looked at her and I said, I wouldn't name a dog after that in front of her, her grandmother. You see stuff like that creates conflict. Of course. 
So when I got to prison, I told myself, from now on, if I get a chance to talk to my son's mother, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be nice. The first time I heard her voice, all that went out the window. Mm. I tried to hold on to my patience, but I started the conversation off wrong by saying, I don't want to speak to you. I only want to speak to my son. Opened the room for argument. We went off on each other. Later on that day, one of my Muslim brothers, he told me, this is what you need to do. You need to write a letter. I'm pretty sure you've heard this exercise before. Anybody that makes you mad, write a letter how you feel, but don't send it to them. Just read over it and let it go. I did half of that exercise right. <laughs> what did you do? How, how did you? You sent it. <laughs> oh. It's not funny. I, it is not, not funny. And I told him, I said, brother, I wrote the letter. He's like, that's good, little bro. I said, I sent it. He looked at me like, you did what? But I'm getting to the point that years went by where I literally had to change the way I think because I had to get over issues I had with my mother that was preventing me from even want to have that cordialness with her. So when she would hit me up and she wanted to start arguing, that's not my mindset. Like, hey, you're not my enemy. I don't have no beef with you. My son's mother, I respect you. I love you for that. When you're ready to speak, you can speak. So now the dynamics stopped changing from her cussing me out. So she may want to argue, but she's not cussing me out no more. Mm -hmm. okay. Now she's actually starting to sound confused because consistently I'm not bringing that energy no more. Right. A person can't argue. No, listen, you can't argue by yourself. You can't. You're going to sound like a goofball. When I learned that, when I figured out, because I was the, I, I have a kind of a fighter's nature. And I had, to, I had to learn how to squash that. And I learned that my best revenge is to shut up and or walk away. And it takes so much discipline and so much growth. But you can, you can let a person stew in their own juices and figure out that energy by themselves. But not going in to that space is so mature. Oh, my gosh. I feel good when I finally mastered that. Woo. I can't imagine having to do it after being away from your child. And this is still a child. And you still have to deal with this woman. So how is, how is the relationship with your son? It's interesting. Like I said, he had no memories of me. Both past and present. So... My son's mother, before I was incarcerated, she was dating a guy. He ended up playing the role of stepfather for my son while I was gone. And I give him his flowers for that because he didn't have to do that. She ended up having two children by him. So in her mind, she actually thought, I don't know what was going on. I actually think she never thought I was going to come home. So she led my son to believe this was his blood father. So as I'm getting closer to coming home, I'm explaining to her, you're going to have to tell him, and I don't care what you tell him, but I'm going to come see my son soon. Like, I don't care what you got to tell him, but you need to figure out a way to tell him the truth because I'm coming. She told him three days before his eighth birthday who I was, and he asked her if he could talk to me. And it was actually a cool conversation. Okay. In certain ways, he reminds me of myself, but then he also reminds me of her, a lot of the qualities I do like about her. 
Wow. I I want to I want to make sure that um, that we definitely keep in in touch and and I want to see how your family evolves and and grows. I would love to to follow your journey and let people out there see a good example of that deliberate healing. You know, healing is a journey, but it's also a decision that you'll never get there if you don't ever choose to take that step toward it. So I I would love if you would uh, agree to come back one day, in, you know, maybe a year or so. I want to see, you know, 10 year old, what, I don't want to say your son's name, but you know, your 10 year old son's growth, you know, what, what your relationship is like then. I have a strong passion for um, supporting co-parenting. And I don't understand from a woman's perspective, ladies, hear me loud and clear, that man is not abusing your child. There is not another excuse on this planet for you to keep him away from his children. And I mean that to my core. Not one. I've been through hell and high water. Not one time did I ever interfere. Never. I don't. I don't see a reason. Um, so I would love to follow your follow your journey, your journey and your growth. I know it's going to be growth. I, I feel that in my spirit because um, you you committed to that growth. So I'm excited. Yeah. A part of that self-healing is you have to go on the stage of one self-discovery and also self-reconciliation. Yes. A lot of us are living with hurts, and most of us don't even know we're hurting. Most because a lot of us have coping mechanisms. Like for me, I smoked weed every second of my day, mm. especially after I left and separated from my son and went to Arkansas. I never had a sober moment. I didn't even know what that felt like. What made you go to Arkansas? Well, as you can tell from this bandana on my head, at one point in my life, I stood on the side that was the color blue. I stood for a particular set, and I built a name for myself. Of course, that comes with consequences, though. Okay. There were times where my son's mother did not want me to take my son out with me, and I actually didn't fight that because I know I have dudes hoping to catch me slipping. And one of the worst things I could ever think could happen is someone catches me while I'm with my son. Like, I could stomach it happen to me. I can't stomach it happening to my baby. Right. And around this time in 2014, 15, all my homeboys were dying. It didn't matter what affiliation they stood with. It didn't matter who side was on who. Everybody was dying. Nobody was getting past the age of 20. I was rational enough to realize I do the same things they do. Some is some, a little bit more than some, a little bit less than some. Nevertheless, everybody in this life is dying. None of us are quick to walk away from it. I have to go. I think one of the one of the real life-changing events that, because I came back to Atlanta, actually. When we was in college, I was in the summer session. Came back for a break. If you've never been to Arkansas, it's so slow. I don't mean mindset. I just mean the you lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's real slow. Know. I'm already from Philly. That's a major city. Coming to Atlanta was like a slowdown from Philly. So imagine leaving from Atlanta, a city that really just now in its prime, you go to Little Rock, where their population isn't even over, I think, 250,000. 
there's no real bus system. And you know any city that doesn't have a bus system is slow. Yeah. I was so bored and depressed. When I came back to Atlanta, I felt alive again. I was telling people, I'm never going back to Arkansas. While I was in Arkansas, there was a guy from Clayton County. He became my best friend so fast. He stopped me from making a mistake that probably would have got me sent to prison for the rest of my life while I was out there. We came back to Atlanta. You know, we make plans to see each other, but when you come back to your home city, you fall back in the rhythm real fast, but them plans don't mean nothing no more. Yeah. And I'm steadily telling him I'm finna come see him. Two weeks after we came back to Atlanta, his baby mama's boyfriend gunned him down. For his birthday and a week before we were supposed to go back to college. And at that moment, I realized you have a great chance of dying in this city before your son even turns one. Because the irony in his situation, his baby wasn't even born yet. Mm. Actually, even before we came out here back to Atlanta, we were sitting on the porch one day smoking. It's a porch everybody at the college used to smoke on. My guy didn't want to smoke that day. But he said, you know, I'm going to smoke with you just because I feel to make me more comfortable say what I want to say. And my guy told me a premonition. He said, I can't shake this feeling if I go back to Atlanta. I'm not going to make it back to Arkansas. And at the time, I'm telling him he's tripping because my guy really a good dude. So when he got killed, one, I felt like a bad friend because I missed the signs. My friends really tell me he's afraid for his life, but I didn't do anything. Then I was going through a survivor's guilt. Like, my guy just stopped me from making a mistake that would have cost my life in prison. I can't pay him back. In a sense, you can. You can pay him back by living the life that he encouraged you to live. That's the only way. And I know a lot of people that feel that survivor's guilt. That's, that's a very real thing. Um, wow. So you went to college in Arkansas. And was this your first year in college that you got in trouble? First few months. Oh, man. I didn't make it even through a whole semester. Wow. And I'm explaining the mindset that got me there. Like, and it's, it's, this is the hypocrisy and the irony of the thinking. I left my city because I knew at some point I was going to die out here. So I went to a whole nother city and got involved with the exact same thing that I was running away from. And I'm doing it with dudes, whether they ever want to admit or not, they left their cities for the exact same reason. Nobody wanted to lose their life to this. So part of me tagging along and doing what we did was like me trying to prove I'm still that guy that would get down. And that's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Young men, young women. That's stupid. Find a lesson in somebody else's story. There's so many people who don't. They let lessons pass their face all day, every day. Wow. Okay, so you get locked up a couple months into being in Arkansas. You go to jail and then subsequently to prison. How long did you serve in prison? Seven years. I was released 20 days early and one day before my birthday. 
Now that's a gift. That's a gift. So you got to wake up your first day on your birthday. Yep. What a gift. So do you have, uh, are you on parole or? Yes, I'm currently on parole right now. Okay. My parole office is super straight though, so I don't even feel like it. That's good. But you will get your parole fees this week. It's the first <laughs> week of the month, so you will be coming. That's good. good. Now, were you able to get paroled straight to Georgia? Or yes. You had to go? That's good. It was like I was telling you earlier before we got on chat. I'm a, I'm a fan of thinking, even thinking about the future. I actually was not supposed to even be able to parole out here. But seven years ago, I had an epiphany and I had a plan. So I laid the seeds of that plan down and made sure the people involved were oblivious to their role in the plan. So when it finally came time for me to come home, the plan was already sewed in. Everybody filled their role and I was able to make it here off the technicality. Are you able to elaborate? I don't want to because if the wrong person sees this, I don't know if that technicality can be un gotcha. it can be untethered. Gotcha. Let's just say everybody has a use in life. Like and if you're listening to this, understand this. There's a difference from having a use and there's a difference from just using people. Gotcha. If you have no use, you have no value which means there's no point you being around. I'm the type of person, I don't even like being in people's vicinity if I have nothing to offer them. I just don't feel right. But I also like to feel the same way about the people around me. If you don't serve a use in my life, at some point you're just occupying space that could be used for someone more beneficial. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. And how long are you on paper? For three years. At this point now, two and a half. Gotcha. You have come home and you are living a productive life. Just a few months. You got home in October, right? Yes, ma'am. And got my birth first book coming out on June 18th, definitely 2023. Definitely leading to that. What's that date again? Your book drops? June 18th, 2023. On Father's Day, I'm releasing my book. Dad, I love you. How to love an absent father. Woo. Okay, okay, okay. We got to talk about that. How to love an absent father. There's so many levels of um, love, redemption, forgiveness. I can hear all kind of stuff in that. So take me through this book. You're writing this book. You have, what, what did you start with? Your journey as an absent father, your journey as a child of an absent father, what mentally, not necessarily physically writing, but where did you start in this journey of writing the book? I'm going to tell you what actually inspired the book in the first place. After the event that happened with my father, I was left with this internal turmoil. I had entered a short story contest like months prior, even before getting out of prison, I'm a chronic procrastinator. I hadn't wrote nothing yet because I wasn't inspired. Then I had got an idea. I decided 
to look at things from my father's perspective, the life he may be living at that moment, which I chose the life of a man who burnt his bridges, not living a right. Because, you know, if you're Ethiopian man, African period, and you abandon your children, your people want nothing to do with you. And then when you're an immigrant on top of that, if you can't fit in with your own people, nobody else really wants to deal with you. So I painted the picture of this man who lives in this decrepit apartment. He's isolated basically from life period. He goes to a, in, a job in and out every day. He gets fired from his job on his birthday. He comes home wondering how things can get any worse. Then he gets a phone call. And it's his son who he abandoned. He hangs up the phone, runs out the apartment, is about to run away because now he's thinking this man, his son might know where he is. But he's angry now. He's angry that his son had the audacity to reach out to him. He calls him back and goes off on his son. He lets him know, I've never wanted to be a part of your life. Actually, didn't even want you to live. And he's asking, what do you want from me? And his son was calling him best to tell him, I love you. And I wrote a whole short story. I wrote a whole short story just from this one event. From my mind, what could have took place? You know, everybody's fictional. It's based off an event, but just my imagination on what could have been. Everybody's name is made up. Okay. So it's loosely based on your experience. And then you created a story around your experience. Got yes. It. Got it. Okay. And is is he in Georgia? Is your name? He's in Philly. Okay. Gotcha. Wow. Now, is there any part of the book that you uh, write from the perspective of your son? No. All the the book is about my entire journey. Is my entire journey. Period. I don't want to call it like an autobiography because it's not really that because I don't just tell you the things in depth that happened in my life. I explain to you decisions I made throughout my life because of the absence of that father figure and also because of the absence of identity. But that's as far as I go with it. I try to keep the story along the line where you can still see you in here so you can make the healing you need to make. If anybody's wondering, this book is mainly geared towards men. I actually wrote it for black men period. But then I realized that absent fathers is not really just it's not a black thing that happens in black people. No. It happens in all groups of people for different reasons, but it happens. Yes. But I wrote it from my journey that I've been through. The very first part of the book, the introduction is the day my dad left. I actually watched my dad. Then I fast forward in the introduction the day I called him. And I make sure in the end of that part, I let it be known that I love my absent father. So you already know the theme of the book. The book is split up in four parts. The first one is the effects of not having my father, the negative effects mm -hmm. from how I perceive myself, my dealings with women, my attachment issues to others, my inability to accept authority from male figures, then the second book gets into the healing stage. I'm not going to dwell too much in the negative. The first part is just the relation. People, when they see me, they stereotype me. They hear them real proper. So, you know, the gang affiliation, people never would never picture it. Mm -hmm. 
like the girl I ran into today in my job from my past. If I was to tell people stuff I was into, they probably look like, eh. if she tell them like, for real? And I'm glad, because I'm glad I don't I don't come off as that guy. Right. Because I don't need to be people stereotyping me on a negative scope to that degree. But that's just for the relating, to let you know I relate to you. To whoever's reading this, I can relate to how you're feeling. The second part is the healing stage, though. Because we finna focus on the trend, on the healing period. Great. The third part is a chapter I wrote for single mothers raising sons on their own. And the part two of that is a chapter for absent fathers who may be searching to get back in their son's life but don't know how to. Then the last part is a bonus, which I'm not going to say on here, but it's a challenge that I pose for men. Really, anybody can take it on. The thing about this book, it's geared towards men. The language is geared towards men. But when you read it, it's based off of four pragmatic steps that anybody can apply, not even just with their father, but any relationship that you may have had, period, that didn't go the way you planned for it to go. And is it being published to print or published like ebook? Only? Oh, we going, we going all in. Nice. We going all in. I'm gonna have printed copies. We gonna have ebook. Today I spent three and a half hours recording the audio book. <laughs> Guys, I can't wait to get this book and read it and share it. And I, I look forward to somebody else being healed from reading it. Uh, I'm going to keep a couple copies on hand so when I see somebody that I think needs some some guidance and I don't know how to tell a man how to do things that a man needs to do, I'm going to share it. I'm definitely going to do that. Wow. Interesting. Anything um, else going on in your life? Man. Uh-oh, what's that smile? Uh-oh, not, wait a minute, did he just blush? Right now I'm processing to be a member of the Nation of Islam under the tutelage of Louis Farrakhan. Okay, okay. That's powerful. That's Hopefully that's going to help me train for one of my biggest goals in life. What is that goal? Marriage. Ooh. Love it. I am 100% team marriage. Marriage was meant to me. I know marriage was meant for me because I was one of those people that never wanted to be married. I was okay hoeing for the rest of my life. <laughs> it wasn't until 23 where I started thinking, you know, marriage may not be that bad. I was about 26 when I said, yeah, I need to get married. Now, I've still done some hoeing, you know, up until this point. But I'm, I'm working on it so I can prepare for my future wife, whoever she is. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's beautiful. I, I love that um, a lot of men um, come into themselves in the nation. I definitely love that commitment. It's a commitment. Definitely a commitment. I applaud you. Yeah. Advice I give any male. Women, period, because now we're in a society where marriage is really frowned upon. To most people, marriage is just paperwork. I got a story. <laughs> no, it's not just paper. What story you got? Hold up. We pulling the tea on this me. This ain't my episode. This ain't. It's your show, though. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, are we? Um, so marriage, marriage is more than just a piece of paper. And anybody who, especially if you have a relationship, a long-term relationship that you are acquiring things and you're building with this person, your partner, your spouse, um, it can all go away in, in the blink of an eye if you're not legally married in this country. Trust me, I know. Been there, done that. Got the scars to show. And even on that note, see, like, conversations like that don't make people look forward to marriage. That makes actually people feel like this is not really even a marriage. It's more so like a, a business arrangement at that point. Um, well, that's, I would say that's not a reason to shy away from marriage. It's more of a reason too. So, and I have a, I have a friend that she's, um, associate. She's going through something similar to what I went through. Her, um, fiance passed away a couple weeks ago and she got to get out of the house because the house wasn't, that wasn't her husband and her name wasn't on the house yet. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a, it, for one, let me say this to be clear. Marriage is very much like a business arrangement. You should be aligned in every sense. This equally yoked. We know the scripture. If you're not, like, I would never get with somebody who is, has the potential to ruin what I've been building in my business. Why would I do that? That's foolish. He got to line up with my business. Even if he doesn't work in the same field, even if he doesn't. He just got to line up. He got to compliment me. I have to be able to take my spouse with me to company function. Well, I'm an entrepreneur, but you know what I'm saying? I, I need my man to be able to support what I'm doing and vice versa. Yes, it's like a business arrangement. You know, you want to be able to compliment that person and they you. It should be looked like that. I'm looking for the merger. I'm I, I tell people all the time, Coke won't buy Pepsi. They butt heads. They would never merge. <laughs> One has to go away. So they can compete, but they can't, they can't merge. They won't merge. It doesn't make sense for either of the businesses, right? But Coke acquired Sprite or created Sprite, something to complement their product line. Pepsi got Sierra Mist. They just would not work well together. Think of your marriage like a product line. It needs to complement each other. You got to compliment her. He has to compliment me. Don't run for marriage. It's beautiful. I love it. I don't regret my choice. Yeah. You know, we're not going to get too much next. You know, I think we got enough dating experts in these fields, but I'll give my opinion by saying, and I love the idea, concept of marriage. Actually, marriage is one of my top three favorite topics of conversation because you can tell the morality of a person by how they perceive marriage. You can tell the morality of a nation by how they perceive marriage. Like I was having a conversation with a coworker and I asked them, what is the penalty of law in the United States 
if a husband cheats on his wife or a wife cheats on a husband, what's the penalty of law? And in the United States, um, I don't know that there are any states that still have adultery laws on the books. Exactly. You can tell the level of their morality from mm -hmm. moral marriage. Opposed, you go to a country like, uh, I use a country, I'm trying to use a country that's not too out of there, but <laughs> let's just use a country like, mm, what's a country that takes marriage serious? Marriage serious. We'll just say a country in the Middle East, because we're not going to use specific country, because some yeah. of them are out of there. Yeah. But you got a country in the Middle East, where if they was to actually go off the theologies they live by, marriage, a person who cheats in a marriage, is punishable up till death. Because the concept of you destroying your family is symbolic to you waging treason against your nation. Absolutely. But in America, our country... I'm not saying the people, just saying our government doesn't uphold that type of morality. Right. right. So that's just one way of looking at marriage. But then on top of that, a lot of people in my mind shy away from marriage because nobody knows the concept of what marriage even means. Like marriage itself is a word that actually just means a covenant. Most people don't even know what that means. Then when it comes to actually selecting a partner, most of us don't even know how to do that. Like, I was having a conversation with one of my guys. You know, to anybody that's into it, I'm not knocking you. But my guy, he said, yeah, I'm going to leave black woman alone. Give me a white girl. And I said, don't you do that. Don't you do that to your mother. But I asked him, why did he feel that way? He said, because I don't know. There's nowhere I can meet a, a good black woman. My guy's really smart. So I asked him, I said, what do you like to do in your free time? He said, bro, you know, I like to read. I said, well, have you ever tried to pick up a shorty at a library? He said, bro, who does that? The Somebody dude, who likes to read. <laughs> the, 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 the guy looking for the female who has the same interest as him. I said, where do you usually meet women at? Well, I go to the club. I said, that's your problem. You're going to a place where nobody's in here trying to even be in a relationship. Right. Some of these people in here about to cheat in their relationship. But it's how you've been programmed to search for your mate. A lot of us don't right. know how to search for a mate. A lot of us don't know the... Have you ever read a book called The Kama Sutra? Which long, one? Long Which one? Hold up. Hold up. I got to ask. I Which one? What? I didn't know there was. Well, I'm sure there was a lot. But... Did you leave like the the one that focused solely on copulation or the one that actually delved into the science of love? The science. Okay, bet. The science, yes. I read it like in the early 90s. Okay, yeah. There's a guy named Alain Danielu. For anybody, I'm finna drop a gem for y'all because whoever into marriage or dating and really is looking for a good spouse, you need to look up this book. It's called the Kama Sutra. Not this perverted version they got floating around just focusing on sex positions. It's the Kama Sutra transliterated by Alain Danielu. The original author is Vashyayana. He's a Hindu Brahmin. In the book, he lists eight methods they use to determine the perfect spouse for somebody. I only know a few of them offhand, but their astrology, their class status, their national background. These were things that people actually looked for. They even went as far as to test the organ size, the reproductive organ size. Like there was a thing like right now we're on this frenzy of women want big, big energy. A lot of women's wombs aren't designed for that, and that's fine. Yeah. It's like a lot of guys want women who over-sexualize 
And if you get you a woman whose sexual energy is stronger than yours, that'll ruin your whole relationship. Because a man should not be with a woman he can't satisfy. Don't lose her quick. But that book explains that to you. We grew up in a society where we don't have rituals. We don't have mating rights. Actually, if you get even more deeper in it, animals do a better job of selecting mates. Why? Because they have rituals they abide by. I had the luxury of watching a bird ritual, and I didn't realize what it was until my mentor actually told me to observe the nature of animals, which means you even have to pay attention to season because animals act differently during different seasons. Yes. Yeah. So I'm in prison. I'm watching out the bars. It's a literally a circle of birds, a perfect ring. There's two birds in the middle. They're pecking the life out of each other, fighting to the death. Originally, I thought it was like maybe for food or some territory, but then I thought about it. It's like spring, that spring, summertime. This is mating season. They fighting to prove who's the perfect suitor. The bird that lost, actually, he didn't even die. He he fled, which is worse than getting killed, because at least in their rituals, if you die, that means you die with honor. Yeah. Running means you don't even have any honor. He flew away by himself. The bird that won, every female bird flew behind him. Mm. Now, again, he's only going to select one of them, but because he passed a mating ritual, he has options. Now, our only mating ritual is having a bag. That's a whole other episode. Yeah. And I didn't want to get into this, but again, like I said, I'm very passionate about the concept of marriage. Because me, I know the value of marriage. My instructor, and I, you know, I'm a name drop because you know I don't believe this brother gets enough flowers that he deserves. 19 keys. Oh. They giving him his praise, but I still don't think he's getting he, as much as flowers. Yeah. Like Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan still ain't by anything, Louis Farrakhan should have been the president. United States would have been united in peace. <laughs> but the brother says there's two things that stops a man from becoming a man. The first thing is a lot of men don't tap into that feminine side of them. Which, and I'm going to drop a jewel in my book. One of the chapters in my book is called Forgiveness. Words have mathematics. Words consist of other words that add up and mean a new word. So the word forgive the last three letters of forgiveness is ESS. That actually means feminine energy. So forgiveness is an act, is a feminine act, but not to the negative side like most men may choose to look at it. It's an act of compassion, an act of mercy. That's a feminine trait. It's a nurturing trait that everybody naturally has. Okay. But a man who's not tapped into that part of him, He's not tapping into his feminine energy, which means he's also depriving himself of parts of his masculine energy because he needs that balance. His Y chromosome needs that balance with the X chromosome. And the second thing, a man is not a man until he has that woman that was made for him. And in Islam, to go even further, you're not even a Muslim until you get married. There's two things that complete your, your deen in Islam. The first one is cleaning up self. And you have to practice this in this formula because if you don't, you are likely to find yourself in a miserable situation where you're trying to get married first, but you're still in a discrepant state. The first part of Islam is you have to clean yourself from your tongue, from your mind, from your behavior, which is why, you know, I got to stop hoeing. But <laughs> Ooh, help me. 
And then after that is marriage. Once you've gotten married and after you cleaned yourself up, you're actually a Muslim now. Mm, okay. Mm. Yeah. A lot of brothers go, will clean themselves a little bit up and then get married because they want to complete their deen because they want to please Allah. But if you marry a woman and you're not pleasing her, and I'm not even talking about the sexual part no more. I'm just talking about her being. If you're not pleasing her, you're not even pleasing Allah. Because the first part of marriage is with the two people. Both of them have to be satisfied. How do you look being happy because you didn't complete your religion, but you're depriving your woman of her happiness? Mm. That's why even Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, said, the man who treats his wife well is the best of men. Rest on that. And again, this is why, brothers, y'all need to get this book, Dad, I Love You, How to Love an Absent Father. Because right now we're entering the age women want to be in their soft period. A woman raising a son by herself, children, period, but a son can't be soft because you're serving as a disciplinary, as the firm. You're not being a nurturer. You're not being a comforter. You're having to be the father figure. So you can't be soft. You can't be feminine because you got to take on a masculine role to make sure your son is masculine. But now he's confused because the masculine you're giving him is not actually masculinity. It's just what you believe it is. Mm. So, brothers, we need to be present in these women's lives. We need to be present sons so our women can start living in their softness and they can actually start being mothers. Right now, they're just being parents. They're not having a chance to be mothers. Said so much. And you know what? Let me lean in here. As long as they're good comments, you know, I don't, uh, if, if anybody cussed me out for anything I said. Being my my cheerleader, it's it's good to have um, people who have your back in things that you're you're working on, things that you're doing. That's my sister friend, and she's one of my sister friends that we met through these groups, just like <laughs> you and I met. Never met in person, but Miami, Miami, we gonna hook up since next month. Um, is the next month? Whenever we're going to we're going to Miami to a conference. Um, yes, it's so important to surround yourself with people, like-minded people. Um, but back to the the marriage, <clears throat> I I take it to the basic um, elements. My podcast is based all around my five core passions: love, service, business, music, and food. Where the food at? I ain't ate nothing yet. Hold up. You should have <laughs> you should have been opened up with that. I would have asked for a sample or something. I know I you offered not. me some water. I don't want to eat I don't want to eat no damn today. water. <laughs> I, <laughs> I did not cook today. I had a I had a really busy day. Um and I had a doctor's appointment. Okay, I'll that, let you slide on the doctor's doctor, appointment. No, I had the most ignorant doctor I've ever had in my life today. Um first I gotta ask, are you all right? Like, is everything cool? I don't know yet. 
I'm, mm. I'm claiming it, so yes. But I had to go see a, um, a heart doctor because I had been having some issues. And this man walked in. I mean, I'm not sure if he looked at my chart beforehand to see my age, but he looked, he like chuckled when he walked in the room. So it threw me off already. And then he's, you know, he asked me a couple of questions and then he said, you are fine. He was, he was, uh, seemed, he looked Nigerian. He said, you are fine. You, you're not sick like those people out there. Huh? Y'all just charged me for you to do this? And he didn't even run the test that the primary doctor had ordered. So they want me to come back. I'm not paying him to come back to do the test that he should have done today. So I was I was thrown off by that because it worked me up. I've waited for two weeks to get in with this specialist. So no, I didn't cook. My plan, though, for the record, people, when you come to the, I haven't named my space yet. I'm just kind of loosely calling it the bubble lounge. But when you get invited to come in person, the plan is to feed you. Yes, I'm putting it on the record. The plan is to feed you. I mean, you should at so, least bring me out like a piece of chocolate so you know your first guest. Now, can, you I know. do have chocolate. I got a whole bowl of chocolate over there. I'm what? like the old, oh my gosh, I'm really like the old lady. I have bowls of candy around my what is all the chocolate? That's right over here. What? what that's what I'm talking about. She, she should have been opening up the food. I would have. Let me see. Let me Yeah, she fed me now, so we good now. When we she said that food, I said, hold back. up. So I used to have a restaurant and catering business, and, and um, I used to make sausage. Um, so I'm a cook. I'm for real a cook. I'm not a chef. I didn't go to school and get trained, but I went to the school of Miss Emma. And my grandmothers were all very, very, very good cooks. So, yes, I can cook. I'm uh, going to feed my guests. So when I come and I invite you on, just know we're getting it in. Okay? So I got to ask, what, what do you, out of all the dishes you know how to make, if you, was on, if you only had to make one of those for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Which would be that forever dish? It's so hard to say. And not even being arrogant, I can cook. You know what the one thing I can't cook? Don't come for my black card. I ain't trying to hear nothing well, y'all talking about. you say chicken, I think you don't even want to go no further with it. No, that. not chicken. Oh, okay. I was going to say, like, really, that just would have... I suck at making grits. Oh, nah. Hey, you, you don't have to feel bad. You know how many black people don't know how to make grits? I mean, it's different because, you know, you like 30-something, so you know. Who 30-something? That son of mine you just met is 29. I mean, you might have started younger. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's the fourth child that I bore. What are you like? 
40 something? What's your age? Hold up, hold up. You know, I'm, I'm asking a forbidden question here. So if any women listening, don't kill me for this. I'm asking a forbidden question. What is your I'm over age? 50. Oh, yeah. You, if you don't know how to make grits, and yeah, I ain't going to lie. You tripping. Like, it would have been different. You said you like. Y'all see that switch up? Yeah, yeah, I ain't going to lie to you. Like, if you would have said like 26, 27, I mean, I, we can understand grits and, you know, Women bougie nowadays, so you know Listen, grits. They look down. But at. guess what? I can throw down on any and everything else, and I can bake from scratch. I don't do nothing from no box. Can you bake grits from scratch? Listen, I don't. I don't. I make. Listen, here's here's my problem with grits. I learned how to cook from a woman that didn't measure anything, so I just I got measuring cups, but I just never made myself measure and. They just, I don't know if I don't cook them long enough. I don't know. It's hit or miss. Sometimes they be banging. Sometimes, you know. Well, don't worry. Most people but anything else, there is not a person in this world that has ever had my food that can tell you that my food is not good. And well, I'm good at creating recipes. Well, you know, for your first guest on here, you know, I got to be left in the to be continued You're box. going to definitely get an invitation back. If nothing else, you got an invitation to a cookout or something. Because that is definitely part of my plan. Food, service, love, business, and music. So, you're my first guest in in studio. Hey, and say that again. I'm your what? You are my first guest live in house. Man, peace and blessings. Hey, I didn't even know that till I got here. I'm thinking I need to set. I I didn't even know she put me under so much pressure. I got to set the bar. <laughs> now I got to make it to where you're I don't enjoy first, working with nobody done, like I worked with him. I've done my lives but it was always split screen but you are the first in-person live guest in in any format i didn't even my pre-recorded i had no i take that back i did have one pre-recorded but live you're my first live man peace and blessings hey i hope it's been a pleasure working with me it has it has and i'm looking forward to you know continuing um staying connected and following your journey um, first of all, let me say that after your seven years in that cage, I am proud of you for coming home and and doing what you need to do. And you're working, you're connected with your son, you're building yourself back, you're still searching, um, you're building yourself up spiritually, you have a plan, you're creating. I'm proud of that. Young man, I am proud of you. If nobody else tell you, I am proud of you. Yeah, let's not call it a cage. Let's call it what it rightfully is for my setting. For me, it was a womb. Mm -hmm. Most dudes, when they go to prison, prison becomes one of two things for a person. It becomes your womb or it becomes your tomb. Most guys go in prison and lose their life. They don't even have to physically die, but they lose their life in there. A lot of other brothers go in there. That's where they finally get their life at. For me, I stopped feeling incarcerated years before I ever got out of prison. I had received a letter from my godfather. He stated when he went to prison, it took him years for him to realize his incarceration started before he ever went to prison. Mm. Talk to anybody that's in prison. You'll find out they were in prison before they ever walked in one. You were incarcerated long before you ever went to prison. That's profound. That is profound. There's so many people, and I never thought of it like that. There's so many people 
walking around here incarcerated, but they're walking in the street. Wow. Prison is mental. Like while I was incarcerated, I found out the hardest thing to do was think. And not even think, because everybody thinks, it's think constructively. Mm -hmm. Find out there, most guys just don't know how to think constructively. Not because they don't have the ability, they just actually don't know how to. And you go into prison, most prisons are not helping people. Not at all. Not even close. They're just warehousing. So when you're in there, you have to find out how strong you are real fast. And I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about just straight mental. I've watched men become dudes' girlfriends because they didn't have the means to take care of themselves no more. They didn't have the mental capacity to want to do it anymore. So they said, I'm just going to let a man take care of me at the expense of my manhood. I watched dudes kill themselves in prison. I've watched dudes kill each other in prison. One of my homeboys got his throat slit by a transsexual that was high off meth. And it didn't kill him only because he missed his juggler vein by a couple centimeters. Wow. So you go in there and if you can't think, if you don't have the capacity to be mentally strong, you're not going to fight. You're not going to live. Like, you find out who's built for prison for who can make it out alive. Dudes that can't make it out alive are not built for prison. Even surviving is not the same. You're not built for prison. If you can live and walk out with your sanity, like you see guys like Wall Street Trapper, Wallow267, they were built for prison because they had the capacity to live, leave, and stay out. People that don't make it out or people that make it out and go back in, they're not built for it because it's, it's a mind game. I don't see nobody is built for that. Even you see the war, the gladiators in there, they're not built for it because if they were, if it's a game, you know how to play and win. Winning is getting out. And staying out. So are you doing any type of um, community service, any mentoring, anything like that? Are you talking about prescribed by the parole or by choice? By choice. I'm involved with a few projects. One of them is when I got out of prison, because of the disdain I had for my father in my earlier life, I never connected with my Ethiopian side. But the last few years in prison, when I had became privy to the war that was going on in Ethiopia, I felt this deep connection that I now have to get to know my roots. When I got out, I immediately went to the Ethiopian center. Every few weekends, I go over there and help them with their community service projects over there. The Muslims, you know, we do our community service projects, especially me prospecting being the nation of Islam now. You're definitely going to be involved in the community. Yeah. But you need to be. Absolutely. Okay, that's dope. Okay, so anything else that you would like the people to know about you? Any Where can they find you and follow you and support you? You can add me on Facebook, Ibrahim A. Malesi. That's I-B-R-A-H-I-E-M space, capital A, space, M-A-L-L-E-S-C. My Instagram name is Nukpu underscore I am N-U-K-P-U underscore 
I am. Nukpu is a comedic term that means I am. And where is your book going to be available? We're going to make it available on Amazon. We're going to have a site where you can publish it by for me directly. Right now, we're still working on the last touches of the website. And that information will be provided. I will give to you so you can give to your audience for anybody that wants to follow. It's going to be available on Amazon. My main reason for wanting to do that, though, is because I want my book to make it in the prisons. A lot of prisons yes. do not allow books to go inside there if it's not straight from a, the pub right. a known publisher. Right, right. I am definitely aware of that. Um, I'm not sure if he still does. My um, oldest son used to have a a book program where he provides books to inmates, uh, sending them books. And that's how I learned that it has to come from directly from a source like that. Some prisons aren't as strict. It's, it's hit or miss. Like in Georgia, they're a little bit more stricter. Arkansas, not really. So it's hit and miss, just depending on where you're at. But I want it to be available on Amazon because I do want those brothers to have access to that. If they family members want to send it to them, me personally, if I could send one to free to brothers of prisons, I would. But since I know how the prisons operate, I make it available. So if they have a family member, they'll be willing to send it to them. Or if a brother wants to order it himself, you know, I've been to prison. So we have means of ordering books <laughs> ourselves. Yes, yes, yes. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in i want to thank you for joining me i am I'm honored to host you i will definitely book the next time you are here do i get to request my meal sure uh you don't tell me that i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna test this theory you don't tell me that you should have just said i'm i'm gonna surprise you <laughs> only reason i'm gonna i'm gonna Stand up to that challenge is because I didn't feed you today. Okay, but you know, yeah. a, a, a mistress, a mistress gesture. I like it. I like it. It's the opposite yeah. of the gentleman gesture. I like it. Yes. So, everybody, I want to remind you if you're tuning in on Instagram or Facebook, please go to my YouTube channel, Blowing Bubbles Podcast on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like. Watch those videos. We're trying to get those followers up. We're trying to get those subscribers and watch hours. We want to be legitimate in this podcast space. And in the next couple of weeks, so I'm building out my website. Um, hopefully, it'll be done in the next couple of days. I am working diligently. I'll be launching on podcast platforms as well. So show me some love. Go to Blowing Bubbles Podcast, everything. That's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and youtube all right so we're gonna wrap it up any last words you have i am again my name is i am my favorite slogan to always use is peace and blessings and i want to leave this with y'all do not be lost in the identity of who you were preventing yourself from being who you are and that is the whole concept of i am be who you are, not who you were or who you think others think you're supposed to be. I read this statement one time before, and it really stuck me. It's one of the things that made me comfortable accepting my name. The statement goes, there's three type of people in this world. Who you think you are, 
who others think you are and who you really are. You find out who you really are by the obstacles you're faced with, by the way you think, and by the way you act. Always be who you are because you lose more when you try to be something that you're not. Again, my name is I Am. Peace and blessings be upon all of you. Man, nothing more to say. Thank you all for joining. I appreciate you. I love you. And we'll see you back next Wednesday, live at 845. Stay popping. And y'all hold it against her, too, about my meal. I ain't going to let that go. <laughs> Bye, y'all.